You're such a good God. And you're faithful and true to your word. And you promise that where we gather together to worship you, that you are in our midst. And and you have visited us and you have graced us with your presence, Lord, as we have worshiped and exalted you. And God, I know you have a word to speak to our hearts today. So I pray that each of us would have ears to hear. God, that the soil of our heart would be good soil that would produce a hundredfold fruit from this word. I just stand against every uh, satanic attack that would try to steal or rob or distort the word. Ruach Hashem, I pray that you would uh, uh, guide this word into each of our hearts and spirits and that we would hear exactly what you are trying to communicate to us. And we would receive and embrace it and our lives would be changed, changed, changed from your word today. And I thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Last week I shared that we are in the seven-week period leading up to Rosh Hashanah and that we have a special Haftarot, uh, the Haftorah portions that are assigned to these seven weeks. And today's message is from uh, the, the Haftorah for today. And my message is entitled, Where Are You, God? And so I'm going to be reading what we've already read in our Torah service, but just to focus our minds on Isaiah, Yeshiahu, Isaiah 49, beginning with verse 14. But Zion says, Adonai has abandoned me. Adonai has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her child at her breast and not show pity on the child from her womb? Well, even if these were to forget, I would not forget you. I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are always before me. Your children are coming quickly. Your destroyers and plunderers are leaving and going. Raise your eyes and look around. They are all gathering and coming to you. Adonai swears, as surely as I am alive, you will wear them all like jewels. Adorn yourself with them like a bride. Pause. You need to get out your tree books or your e-books because I don't have a PowerPoint. Uh, my computer went out Thursday, and it's in the shop for five to seven days. That's the bad news. The good news is it's covered by Apple because it was a default with this. Thank you, God. I sat there for half an hour yesterday praying favor. So, But I couldn't make a PowerPoint, so you have to get your Bibles out. And get that piece of paper out and take some notes. You should always do that every week. So that God can speak to your heart and you can refresh and you can refresh your your spirit on what uh, uh, God is speaking through the message uh, so that you can be changed by it. So we're in Isaiah chapter 49 and I'm on verse 19. For your desolate places and ruins and your devastated land will be too cramped for those living in it. Your devourers will be far away. The day will come when the children born, when you were mourning, will say to you, this place is too cramped for me. Give me room so I can live. Then you will ask yourself, who fathered these for me? I've been mourning my children alone as an exile, wandering to and fro. So who has raised these? I was left alone. So where have they come from? Adonai Elohim answers, I am beckoning to the nations, raising my banner for the people. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their shoulders. 
kings will be your foster fathers, their princesses, your nurses. They will bow to you face towards the earth and lick the dust on your feet. Then you will know that I am Adonai. Those who wait for me will not be sorry. Verse 24, but can booty be rest from a warrior? Can a victor's captives be freed? Here is Adonai's answer. Even a warrior's captives will be snatched away. And the booty, the fearful will be freed. I will fight those who fight you and I will save your children. I will feed those oppressing you with their own flesh. They will be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Then everyone will know that I, Adonai, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Yaakov. The mighty one of Yaakov. I believe that many of us often find ourselves in a similar situation as our ancestors who were in Babylon at this time. They were thinking Adonai has forgotten us. Not only has he forgotten us, but he has abandoned us. He's left us in the mess and we have no hope or way to get out on our own. I believe it would not be far-fetched to think that they were thinking things like, where are you, God, when I need you most? When you're facing tragedy, when life is upside down and inside out for you, when your health is failing, your finances are few, and you just feel like you can't keep going, it becomes even more difficult to hear the word of the Lord and and, and your soul is so discouraged that you truly feel that God has abandoned you. Because when you feel abandoned, you feel disappointed and like someone has let you down. And what is the context that Adonai is speaking these things about and to Israel? Well, we need to read the verses preceding our passage. So I'm going to start at verse 8. And I would encourage you to read the whole of chapter 49 this week in meditation and asking God to continue to speak to your heart. But God said these things before he uh, spoke to them about their feelings that he had forgotten them. Verse 8, here's what Adonai says, At that time when I choose, I will answer you. On the day of salvation, I will help you. I have preserved you and I have appointed you to be the covenant for a people to restore the land and distribute again its ruined inheritance to their owners, to say to the prisoners, come out to those in darkness, show yourselves. They will feed along the paths, and all the high hills will be their pastures. They will neither hunger nor thirsty, neither scorching wind nor sun will strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them and guide them to springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into a road. My highways will be raised up. There they come, some from far away, some from the north, some from the west, and some from the land of Sinim. Sing, heaven, rejoice, earth. Break out in song, you mountains, for Adonai is comforting his people, having mercy on his own who have suffered. This is the promise that Adonai declared to Israel through the prophet Isaiah, expressing his intent on their behalf. And there is an appointed time, he says, when I will bring restoration into your lives. And this will be a total reversal of what has happened. He says, I will help you. 
I will make a straight and even path for you where there seems to be no way. He says, I have seen your pain and I'm here to bring your comfort. So this is what verses 8 through 13, God is saying to the children of Israel. But in verse 14, where our passage begins for today, instead of hearing what I am saying, God understands and he sees the heart of Israel. And God understands and sees your heart and my heart today. You may never verbalize what you're feeling to another person in this room. And you may never verbalize it to God in prayer. But God saw what Israel was thinking and feeling. And God sees what you are thinking and what you are feeling. And I believe many of us are like Israel. And he says, but instead of hearing what I am saying to you, Israel, you are responding, God, you have abandoned us. God, you have forgotten us. As I said, this is not unlike us at many times. We can read the word, even hear this message this morning or any other message preached, and we can walk away discouraged because we just can't connect or receive or believe what Adonai is trying to tell us through the word that we have read or through a sermon that we have heard. And some of us are so weighed down by life, by our circumstances, by things that we cannot control, by things that we can control. And once again, like ancient Israel, we refuse to be encouraged. Listen to the reaction they had to Moshe when he came to them uh, in Shemot chapter 6. He has come, Adonai has sent him as the deliverer, and he is trying to encourage them. He speaks similar words to Israel that Isaiah is speaking and tries to encourage them that the time of slavery is ended and God is going to bring them out and into the promised land. In Shemot chapter 6 verse 9 it says, but they wouldn't listen to Moshe. Because they were so discouraged and because they were so, uh, their slavery was so cruel. When we are discouraged and walking under a heavy load, it is hard to really hear the word of the Lord and to respond in faith. Yet that is exactly what Adonai is calling us to do. Even though Israel wouldn't listen to Moshe there in Shemot, it did not change the fact that Adonai was moving and would ultimately bring them out of over 400 years of slavery and bondage. Could someone say amen? When God was telling Israel to sing and rejoice, she was bent over from the weight of discouragement and the burden of captivity In her heart, I could hear her saying, how can you ask me to sing and rejoice, God? We are strangers in a foreign land. We are under foreign rule. How can you tell us to wait for the appointed time? Why can't you move now, God? Why must you delay? Anyone else ever have those thoughts in your heart? Surely you have abandoned us. Or you have forgotten us. And these words sound like empty promises to us. Was God upset at Israel's thoughts? Was he put off by their emotions? Not at all. And that's why he responds in verse 14 and says, I see exactly where you're at. God sees your heart. 
He sees the struggles that you're going through. He sees each situation that is represented here in this room and by those who are listening to the podcast. And God is not at all put off by our emotions. He instead responded to the emotions of Israel and once again spoke words to encourage her, to grab hold of what he was trying to uh, tell them. And God is not angry at you or me when we struggle through our emotions and questions in life and his presence and the promises he has spoken. He's not here to beat us down, but to encourage us just like he did to ancient Israel in Isaiah 49. I believe his word is meant to encourage us like it was the Jewish people. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel on God and his word for your life. And the little video my brother sent me a few months ago, don't ring the bell. And if you're in the Marines, or we're in the Marines, was it the Marines? Was it no? What was it? Navy SEALs? In the Navy SEALs, you know what that means. Don't ring the bell. And that's what this word is meant to tell us. So what does God have to say to us? When like ancient Israel in our hearts, we're saying, God, where are you when I need you? I feel like you've left me here all alone. These are the things God's speaking to you today. Number one, I have not forgotten you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God has not forgotten you. Difficult situations does not mean God is punishing you. When you have challenges that you are facing, it doesn't mean his favor has lifted from you. Now, it may not be a big deal to you that my computer failed, but if you know me, it's a big deal. In fact, when the lady told me it's going to take five to seven days, I cringed. And when she came back, she says, you you cringed when I said five to seven days. I said, because... My whole life, I work on that computer, you know, like morning, noon, and night. It's, uh, uh, you know, my husband teases sometimes like it's connected to me, you know. And that was just the icing on the top of a couple of weeks where one thing after another has kept happening. And in the midst of one thing after another happening, you can be overwhelmed by these things and think, okay, God, where are you at and what is going on? So when you have challenges that you're facing, it doesn't mean that his favor has lifted from you. In fact, quite the contrary, even as my daughter shared in her Devar Torah, and she didn't know what my message is until she saw the title last night when I posted it on Facebook. So when she prepared her Devar Torah, she didn't know what this message was about. In fact, it's quite the contrary. His promise over and over again in his word is that he has not forgotten us. Turn to your neighbor again and say, God has not forgotten you. See, that is a lie from the pit of hell, and it is a lie that too many people believe. It was a lie that Israel struggled with over and over again. And when you read through the book of Isaiah, you can see how many times Isaiah had to encourage ancient Israel on this topic. And not only has he not forgotten us, but he also promises that he has never and will never leave us alone. That's good news. 
These are truths that we need to grab hold of when we feel like God has let us down or we are questioning why he hasn't moved on our behalf and we say, why isn't the appointed time like two weeks ago, God? (laughs) Not even today or a month ago. And when we have those questions and we're saying, God, why isn't this the appointed time? In the midst of those questions, we need to grab hold of this truth. God has not forgotten you, and God is always with you. Always with you. Instead of giving in to the feelings uh, and thoughts that say God is not for us and he's left us to waller in our mess, waller is a Missouri word, We need to focus on this truth again. God is always with us. And he always has us on his mind. Think of the imagery. God says, and and let me just say this. I should have said this at the beginning. The whole context of this message, this is for Israel. Okay? And it is for the Jewish people. But there are always principles that apply to us. And that's what we're doing. We're pulling out these principles to apply to our life. But this is a prophecy for Israel. And I understand that. And you need to understand that. But the principles apply to everybody, Jew and Gentile alike. And so the imagery here is so powerful. He says, you are engraved on the palm of my hand. Your walls are always before me. Interpretation, as my daughter would say. God's always got you on his mind. He's always thinking about you. Quite contrary to the thought, you've forgotten me. God's saying, no, no, no. Can a mother forget her child who she has nursed at the breast? Well, maybe that could happen. And there might be some examples he's saying. But even if that were to happen in the natural, God says, I want you to know, Israel. And I want you to know, Beth Emanuel. And I want you to know and put your name in there right now that I have not forgotten you. I could never forget you. Because you are engraved on my hand. You are a part of who I am. You are constantly before me. So when your world seems to be falling apart, and when nothing seems to be going right in your life, God says, don't give in despair to despair. This was the case for ancient Israel. She was in captivity because of her own choices. And sometimes the choices we have made do have unfortunate consequences in our lives. At other times, it is simply a matter of the fallen world that we live in that brings challenges and difficulty our way. Think of Joseph, for example. His life was full of difficulties, and things certainly were not smooth or easy for him. In fact, nothing went the way that he had envisioned. Yet we know at the end of the story and understand that Adonai was with him all the time, and that God never forgot Joseph. And that story and many of the others in Scripture should encourage us today that he has not forgotten us and that he has not left us. 
As one writer said, you are not alone. In the midst of unspeakable sorrow, God is with you. Even if you do not feel him near, God is there. He promises to never leave you alone. Therefore, wherever you are, God is. Selah. Wherever you are, God is. The writer went on to say he is with you before, during, and after the storm, never losing sight of you or your suffering, even as you ponder how you will begin picking up the pieces of your life, God is there, loving you beyond understanding, holding you up, and making a way where there seems to be no way. The first thing God wants to encourage you with this morning is, I have not and will never, ever, ever forget you. The second thing is, things are going to change, and it's going to be quickly. He says, your children will quickly return to you, and your oppressors will leave you. Verse 17. Adonai told Israel these things were going to change. And in the previous verses, we read of his promise of restoration. Now he reiterates in answering that cry of their heart that you have forgotten me by saying, I have not, and things are going to change for you. And as I was studying and preparing this passage, I found an old article written by uh, Pastor John Kilpatrick on the suddenlies of God. And I just want to share a paragraph from that article He said, there are things that God has spoken to your soul and dreams he has put in your heart that you have not seen come to fruition. There are things that you know are in the will of God, but you cannot understand why they haven't come to pass yet. God says that he will finish the work. Romans 9, 28 He is going to do it quicker than you thought. And this means that he is not going to do it by your ingenuity. Just a thought. Or by your works, but rather by his righteousness. He went on to say in this article, some of you gone through struggles, fought battles, stood toe to toe and nose to nose with strong demons for many years. You have been battling, yet you are still holding on to the promises of God. It has been a long night and a weary journey. You are so burdened and so belabored that you have lost the expectancy that our God can move swiftly and suddenly. You have asked God, how long must I wait until the answer comes? God is about to rise up, he said in this article. Don't lose courage and don't lose hope because God is about to rise up and to do a fast and speedy sudden thing. He is the author and finisher of your faith. What God has started in you, he will finish because Yeshua is in an intercessory posture at the right hand of God just for us. God is still on the throne. Don't lay your hand to the promises of God and try to force what God has told you. Powerful words to encourage us. Amen. We simply need to allow God to be God and to do what he promises in his word. So to the thoughts of despair and abandonment by Adonai, we need to speak this truth that he is working and will work on our behalf to bring about his promises in our life. 
Over and over again, we can see how God quickly changed the situation for his people after years of waiting. From the exodus of Egypt to the return and rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem by Nehemiah, it was God who orchestrated the events that brought this change into the lives of his people. Suddenly, things changed. We were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, and suddenly we were free. We were in captivity in Babylon and Persia, and suddenly we were in Jerusalem rebuilding the wall. Other examples in the scriptures include the story of Yeshua and Matthew, Matthew chapter 8. He was in the boat with his Talmudim, and suddenly a storm came. And just as suddenly he spoke, and the storm ceased to be. In Acts chapter 16, Rav Shaul and Silas, where they were thrown into prison, and at midnight it says, suddenly an earthquake came and broke off the chains. And then in Acts chapter 2, we know in that upper room on the day of Shavuot, it says, suddenly the Ruah came into that room and filled and immersed all the Talmudim who were there. And they were empowered to be his witnesses, and they turned the known world upside down to the glory of God. Don't despair of your situation because God says it's going to change and it's going to change quicker than you think. The prophet Habakkuk encourages us with these words. Chapter 2, verse 3, the vision is meant for its appointed time. It speaks of the end. It does not lie. Okay, the word of the Lord does not lie. It may take a while But wait, wait for it because it will surely come. His word will happen. His promises will come to pass in your life and in mine and in this congregation. And I believe it's going to happen quicker than you think. Number three, fruitfulness is coming. So he says, I have not forgotten you. Number two, things are going to change, and it's going to be quicker than you think. Number three, fruitfulness is coming. Again, he speaks of children coming quickly. And in the ancient world, we know that children were a sign of fruitfulness. In fact, from the beginning, in Bereshit, Adonai said to mankind, what? Be fruitful and multiply. So Adonai assures us that he will restore our lives with his blessings. In fact, it says here that the space will be too cramped for all the children that will be returning. And that Israel would be bewildered because they were in captivity and mourning and lost because they had no children, and all of a sudden there would be all these children, and it would be like, where did this happen? How did this happen, and where did these come from? On a congregational level, and I speak this to, over Beth Emanuel, I believe this refers to Jewish people and our families coming to faith. Many of us have prodigals in our family, sons and daughters, spouses and other family members who have walked away from their faith in Yeshua. I believe we're going to enter into a season of seeing the prodigals return to God. I also believe we're going to enter into a season of seeing our Jewish people come to Messiah and that this place will be bursting with growth as we see Talmudim disciples being birthed and growing into the kingdom of God. Like Israel in this passage, I believe people in this congregation will be saying, where did all these people come from? 
already we have seen a trickle begin in this congregation in this year as God has brought in new people coming. I made up my uh, attendance sheet for this last book of Devarim for Junior Shabbat, and uh, it's filled up. So I had to put a second blank one for any new kids who might come in the next uh, in the next uh, month or so. That was encouraging. And I believe we're going to see this growth, growth exponentially, our congregation. I believe it's a word for us. And on a personal level, to each one of us here today, I believe God is going to restore all that the enemy has taken from us. God is a God of restoration. Again, we can see this theme repeated throughout the scriptures. In an article I was reading on restoration, this author listed seven areas that God works restoration in. Here they are. Number one, he said, your health. In Jeremiah 37, the Lord says he will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds. So if that's something you need, receive the word of the Lord, restoration of your health. He will restore your life, this author said. In Ruth 4.15, It tells about the way that God provided for Naomi's life to be restored after her husband and sons died. And it says there he will be a restorer of life. Your joy, and a lot of us need this restored. I've said this many times in the last few months. David's cry in Tehillim 51.12 is that God would restore the joy of his salvation. God is praised over and over again in the Psalms, the book of Tehillim, as the restorer of joy. You need your joy restored to you. The wasted years, we are told in the book of Yoel, Joel chapter 2, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. God is going to do a work of restoration, that which the enemy has tried to steal away from us. Your spiritual walk, Galatians 6.1 talks about if someone is caught in sin, that the spiritual community is to restore that person in the spirit of gentleness. Your paths, both you and your spiritual family, will rebuild and fill the places that were once used for rubbish, according to Isaiah 58, 12. And your damaged soul, and he refers to uh, Tehillim 23, that he is the restorer of our soul. Uh, and leads us in path of righteousness. Obviously, this is not an exhaustive list of what God wants to restore, but I thought it was a good place to begin as I was reading this article. The reality is God promises restoration in your life to your family, to your health, to your life, to every area. God says, I'm going to do a work of restoration, and we need to receive that this morning. He's going to, things are going to change, and it's going to be fruitfulness, and fruitfulness also includes restoration. Number four, I have two more things. Number four, Adonai is fighting for you. In verse 25, he says, I will fight those who fight you, and I will save your children. There is an enemy of our soul There's an enemy of your soul, and I'm going to tell you right now, and you've heard me say this before, it is not your spouse, it is not your neighbor, it is not your co-worker, and it is not your rabbi. Hint, hint, hint. Just threw that in there. It is Hasatan, and you've heard us say it over and over again, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy the promises of God in your life. However... And it's a big however. 
There is a mighty warrior who goes out before you to not only lead you to victory, but he has joined the battle. And if you want anyone fighting on your behalf, it cannot be God Almighty. And God Almighty declares here, I will fight against those who fight against you. Thank you. Someone get excited about it. God is going to fight those who fight you. Think about what he said to Jehoshaphat. You stand still and see the deliverance that I am going to work. You go out and send out those worshipers. Some of you need to to get into worship. That's another hint. I'd be taking notes so I know what I'm supposed to do. Otherwise, you can listen to the, the podcast. Randy gets it up within a day or two. Thank you again, Randy, for that work you do every week. Amen. In fact, you can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we had a uh, man visiting us from Florida who has been up the last couple summers. And when he came up this year, he caught me and he said uh, uh, to me, everyone loves you in Florida. <laughs> He says, I send your podcast out to every, all my friends. I said, oh, they can just sign up for it. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want them to sign up for it. I'm sending them to them every week so I know that they're going to listen to it. But you could sign up for one of it. There's several places you could sign up. It's on our website. It's on Buzzsprout and somewhere else. But, and you can just get it. And we also try to post it on the Facebook. But you can listen to this message again is the whole point of it, to encourage your soul. Because God is fighting for you. Amen. I want to say it again. God is fighting for you. He's fighting for me. He's fighting for Beth Emanuel. So those who rise up against you, those who come and stick their finger in your face and wave it at you and telling you this and that, God says, I have got you covered. And God is bigger than anybody else. And God is the best warrior. He is the best in battle. There is no one who can stand before God Almighty. And he says, I am fighting for you. I have you covered. I'm going to take care of the situation. Oh, it makes me want to hoot and holler and jump and shout. In Isaiah 41, 11, he makes a similar uh, promise. All those who are angry with you will be disgraced and put to shame. Those who fought against you will be destroyed and brought to nothing. And again, it's not flesh and blood that our battle is with. And don't ever take these verses as meaning flesh and blood. Yes, Hasatan uses flesh and blood. I'm not stupid because he used them against me. But I know my battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities that work and moving, trying to bring destruction to my life and to this congregation and to my husband and to you and to the promises that God has spoken. And God is fighting on your behalf and on my behalf and on Beth Emanuel's behalf against those principalities and powers that want to kill, steal, and rob God's promises for you and for your life and your marriage and your family. He is fighting for you. So recognize when the devil is messing in your life. Here's a few signs. Again, not an exhaustive list, but if you're struggling with anxiety, it's hell. 
Depression, hell. You have a loss of spiritual passion. You don't pray. You don't worship on your own. Let me tell you right now, it's hell. Okay? Let me give you a little rabbi talk here, free of charge. I mean, and I've said this before. I said this at the woman's breakfast. I said it in my message a couple weeks ago. I'm going to say it again, and you're probably going to hear it again and again because, like, the Talmud Yochanan kept repeating over and over again that one message towards the end of his life, love one another. And the story goes, well, why do you keep preaching the same thing? Because until you start doing it, I'm going to keep telling you, love one another. So until you start doing this, you're going to keep hearing this. Some of you need to get back to the basics. You don't pray. You don't worship. You don't read the word on a daily basis. Friends, that's hell. He's got you right where he wants you to be. You need to pray. You need to read the word. And you need to worship on a regular basis. At least five days out of the week. Shabbat, you're here so that you're covered. Okay? At least five of the other days of the week, you should be doing these things. And if you're not, it is hell in your life keeping you weak and anemic because that is your source of strength. The word of God is your food. Man shall not live by bread alone, we read last week, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you are not feeding on the word of God, how can you stand in the day of trouble? This is another message for another day, but you need to hear it. Hell has slapped a lot of you around because you have no strength because you're not feeding your soul. And that leads you don't want to share your faith. You have no passion to see others brought into the kingdom of God because you're barely making it yourself, friends. It is time to awaken, a time to arise ourselves. This is a day and hour where God wants to move mightily in our land and he is searching the earth to and fro looking for someone whose heart is fully committed to him. If your heart is fully committed, then my goodness, you can certainly make time to pray and talk to him and read his word and to worship him. And as you do that, you will have a passion to see others brought into the kingdom of God. Uh, uh, Last week, Miles and my son prayed with someone on the streets in Port Jefferson to receive Yeshua. How exciting. I was sitting on the bench. I had to go to the bathroom, one of those things of nature. And I came back, and they were talking with this lady. So I just sit on the bench and just begin to pray. And I'm listening as they're talking, and I'm watching as they pray with her to receive Yeshua. And when we texted her this last week and she responded immediately, I was in the car accident last Sunday. She said, I can't meet with you for a cup of coffee yet. I said, no problem. We're going to pray for you. So keep this woman in prayer. I said, I'll contact you in a couple of weeks. She heard the good news and she prayed right there. There are people in your life that you work with day after day who don't yet know Yeshua. Do you have a passion? Your family members, those who are the prodigals, where is your passion for them? Friend, if you don't have a passion for it, then the devil is, has a foothold in your life. Every week you should bring somebody, and this place should be filled and overflowing because you're bringing people in who don't yet know Yeshua, whose life is in darkness, who are going to burn in eternity for eternity in the fires of hell if we do not preach the good news. Excuse me. It's another message. You can tell I'm a little excited. There's so many messages in this one message. They'll come. But hear the word of the Lord now. He's challenging this because he wants to do something, but God never does it on his own. So if you think that God fighting for you means that you can just sit back and do nothing, you are wrong. 
And your rabbi is here to tell you. So if you have no passion, my heart breaks for those who don't know Yeshua. And that should be the heart of every one of us. I, like many of you, have family members who knew and tasted of the goodness of the Lord who walked away, who are prodigals. That God forbid if Yeshua were to split the eastern sky today and return, they would not make it. We have our Jewish people. We live in this community, the largest Jewish community outside the state of Israel. Our heart should be passionate to see our Jewish people brought into faith to their Messiah. When we don't have that passion, it means the devil has been working in our life and he has lulled us into slumber or distracted us somehow in some way. Again, the message for another day, but hear the heart of God. The devil is working in your life if you feel, if you're walking under a constant load of guilt and condemnation. Anytime my kids come to me and say, I feel guilty, I said, that's, that's not from God. I'm telling you right now. Mom, I'm not sure, but I said, I'm sure. <laughs> guilt and condemnation is not from God. I said, God may convict you and tell you you've done something wrong, and you simply repent and go on. I said, if you're walking around feeling guilty about stuff, it's not from God. There's no guilt, and there's no condemnation in Messiah Yeshua. If you experience destruction in any area of your life, if things are being taken from you, if there is no joy in your life, listen to me. If there is no joy, this is another soapbox I could preach on every day of my life. If you are not walking in joy, friends, the devil is messing in your life. Rabbi Carol, I have problems. So do I. I lost my computer. I broke a tooth. I had to have two teeth pulled in the last two weeks. Yesterday I woke up and all these blood clots in my mouth and all this other stuff. No, it means nothing to you, but it's a little, you know. The first, uh, yeah, I, most people don't have any good dental insurance. We don't either. So I had to go to the first dentist. And when she's telling me this stuff, they didn't even charge me for the x-rays. I think they felt so bad for me. I was like trying to hold back the tears. I, I got in the car. And I'm hysterical crying. My husband said, call me when you get out. I call and I get home. He says, what are you crying about? You think you're going to be toothless over there? I'm like, yeah, that's how she made it sound, you know. I can see me, you know, walking around and no teeth in my mouth. Wasn't a good image, you know. I know, they're just teeth, right? What's the big deal? But the thing is, stuff happens in all of our lives. And we could all walk around with a puss on our face. And I'm trying to tell you, don't. Be joyful. All right, so you had a couple of teeth taken out. Your computer's in the shop. I guess I'm going to have to take some days off. <laughs> oh, my husband says I can borrow his. <laughs> mm. No, I did ask that, to be fair. I said to the lady, I said, you know, I back up my computer. Uh, it's been two weeks since my last backup, but it, I do back up regularly. I said, can I access some of those files through my husband? He has an Apple also. She's like, I said, and not the whole thing. Oh, yeah, you can access individual files. I said, oh, he's going to have to share his computer with me. Lack of joy is certainly a sign that the enemy is at work in your life. Contention, division, strife, hopelessness, despair, a sense that things will never change or improve. When you are experiencing any of these things, know that hell is at work in your life 
and that Adonai wants to defeat him with your cooperation. It made me think of the story of David in the Battle of Siglag, which my daughter had just talked to me about this sometime in the last week or so. She was reading in this passage and how God had encouraged her. And when you read in Shmuel, all of 1 Samuel 30, the enemy, the Amalekites, came while David and his men were away. And they burned down the town where David had, uh, was living with his men, and they took all their families and possessions. And when they, David and his men come back, naturally everybody is upset. All of their families are gone. Everything is, is, is missing. And what did they do? They sat down and began to cry. <laughs> sort of like what I did when the, at the dentist's office, right? They just began to weep and cry. I mean, and it was extensive crying. They cried until they could cry. No, I mean, read the passage. It's just amazing. They were so upset. So they cried until they couldn't cry anymore. And then the men blamed David, which is a casualty of being a leader. So David became the, uh, the, the focus of their emotions. But David, who also had lost his family, they were taken off and lost his possessions, he turned to Adonai. Listen to me, or you can turn there in 1 Samuel 30, chapter 30, verse 6. David was in serious trouble because the t- people were talking about stoning him to death. Again, it's not the first or last leader that people felt that about. Just saying. Another message, another time. But because all the people were in such deep grief each man over his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself, and Adonai his God. David said to Aviatar the Kohen, the son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ritual vest. He brought the vest to David, and David consulted Adonai. He said, should I go in pursuit of these raiders? Will I catch up with them? And Adonai answered him, go in pursuit, because you will overtake them, and you will recover everyone and everything. And we read later in verse 18, David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. He also rescued his own two wives. They found nothing missing, big or little, not sons, daughters, not plundered goods or anything else they had taken. David brought it all back. Adonai is fighting for you but you're going to have to work with him. Adonai went before David as he always did, and he led him to victory. It is the heart of God to see the enemy defeated in your life and my life. And he wants you and me to recover everything that the enemy has taken away from us. He is a mighty warrior, and he is leading the attack to restore things in our lives. But we need to get in line behind him and see the victory that he wants to bring into our lives. We used to sing a song, I'm going to the enemy's camp, and I'm going to take back everything he has stolen from me. We need to hear the voice of the Lord say, go and pursue, and then get in pursuit and bring back our children, our spouses, our family members. We need to bring them back out of the enemy's camp, our finances, our marriages. Bring it back. Take it away from the enemy who has tried to steal those from us with the help of God Almighty because he says, I am fighting for you. And finally, number five, and I close with this. Those who trust in Adonai and his promises will not be ashamed. Verse 25, 
Then you will know that I am Adonai. Those who wait for me will not be sorry. The Hebrew word used here for wait is the root word of the word Hatikva, hope, the national anthem of Israel. To hope means to wait. I understand why this is the national anthem of Israel, Hatikva, because for years the Jewish people waited with expectation for the promise of their own homeland once again. So the Hebrew word means to wait with expectation. And when you have lost hope, it is a bad place to be. And I want to encourage you to grab hold of hope again in your life. God encourages us this morning to put our hope in him. And I believe like the psalmist, we need to speak to ourselves. My soul, why are you so cast down? Put your hope in God. Speak to yourself. Why are you so cast down? Put your hope in Adonai. Biblical hope is not just a wish. It is a confident expectation in God, his character, his promise, and his ability to do what he has said. One writer defined biblical hope as, quote, a strong confidence that God is going to do good to us in the future. And he further defines it as, quote, a strong confidence in which God has power to produce change in how we live. Another article said this of biblical hope. Hope is the belief that circumstances will get better. It's not a wish for things to get better. It is the actual belief. The knowledge that things will get better no matter how big or small. It's the belief that at age 55 after disaster, when you've lost your home, car, and possessions, everything material, that you still have your health and your family and that you can and you will start over. That's what hope is is that confident expectation. And we are told to hope in Adonai. The New Covenant tells us about our hope in Kepha Aleph, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, who in keeping with his great mercy has called us through the resurrection of Yeshua, the Messiah, from the dead to be born again to a living hope to an inheritance that cannot decay, spoil, or fade, kept safe for you in heaven. This living hope enables us to face the most difficult of situations and challenges with a confidence based on Yeshua's resurrection from the dead. He is alive. Amen? And that is cause for hope in my situation because the same power that raised Yeshua from the dead is the power that is available to you and me and to our situations today, to the challenges and difficulties that we face. Adonai promises to our hope that if we would hope and put our trust in him and wait for him, again, that's all that that word tikva means, to hope, to wait, to trust. He says, you'll not be sorry. The Hebrew here, once again, has a little stronger meaning than that translation. It means you will not be ashamed and you will not be disappointed. But Rabbi Carol, you don't understand. I've been waiting and I feel like God has forgotten me. So I am feeling disappointed. God saying this is what he said to Israel who was saying the same thing. I'm telling you, hope in me. 
Wait for me, and you will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed because I will come through. People don't understand this living hope that we have. They ridicule us and challenge us. Like Job's wife, we have many people who tell us, just give up on God. Your situation is only getting worse. Nothing has changed in weeks, months, or years for some of you. And these, the people say, just give up. Forget God. Forget all this stuff. Well, I want to tell you, don't listen to those voices, but hear the word of the Lord this morning. Put your hope in me, he says. I will see you through this, and I will bring victory in your life. The psalmist says in Tehillim 22, verse 6 or 5, depending on whether you're reading the English or Hebrew, they cried to you and escaped because they trusted in you, and they were not disappointed. Sometimes, though, we do feel like ancient Israel. We feel that God is not around when we need him most. This is the farthest thing from the truth. Allow your heart to receive this word this morning and to be encouraged in the midst of your struggle or battle. God is always for you. He is never against you. Trust in him. Put your hope in him because he will not disappoint you. It doesn't mean that all the problems we are facing will suddenly disappear. It's not a promise of a life without challenges or difficulties, but it is a promise of his presence to walk us through even the darkest of night and to lead us to that place of peace in his presence. Amen. A few weeks ago, I want to close with this. As my husband comes up and the ministry team comes up, we're going to have a time of ministry here this morning for anyone who would like to, to receive prayer. Uh, so a few weeks ago when Rabbi Michael was in Kentucky, I got up in the morning to have my devotions. Uh, the kids were still asleep. And sometimes I will find a worship video on YouTube to worship with because we all know that I'm the joyful noise section. And so on that morning I got up and I was worshiping with uh, one of these, uh, you know, just a worship video, it's a worship service. And at the end uh, of the song that they had been singing, one of the leaders began to prophesy uh, in song, uh, which often my husband does up here too, a prophetic word. And, and it said, there is an end to the season that you are in. And he used that word season. And it said, there is a light at the end of the tunnel of the season that you are in. God is for you. And I believe that that is what Adonai is saying to ancient Israel in this passage. And I believe that that is what he is saying to you and to me and to Beth Emmanuel this morning. Verse 18, he says, to raise up your eyes. Lift them up to see what God is going to do. He's calling us to trust and wait in him. I encourage you to cultivate hope in your heart because God is going to restore and he's going to change things in your life. Receive and embrace the word of the Lord. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Again, my ministry team, whoever's in the room, can you please come up? So I have our team up here. We're just, a, uh, we're just flesh and blood like you. We all have our own struggles. You know, some of mine, a couple of teeth, a computer. It's the latest thing. But we're going to agree with you for whatever you are facing in your life. So as my husband begins to minister in song with the worship team that's here, and you need want someone to stand with you, you want to come up and say, you know, I felt like God has abandoned me, but I hear what God is saying through his word. Please pray with me in my situation. These people are here as a point of agreement with you 
God is for you. He is not against you. He is fighting. Things are going to change. Cultivate hope. So come down. Don't wait. If you want prayer, make your way down now. And we are going to pray for you.